You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is an angry Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, people laughed at me when a few weeks ago I said that your mum had purchased a camper van to come and listen to you podcast. But who's laughing now? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even remember you saying that. I always I just want to make it clear. I always pay attention to everything you say at the start of the podcast, but I can't even remember that one. But that that had something to do with Collingwood, right? No, no. It's uh, you, you don't know the story. You didn't see uh, your mate Tom Brown's tweet last night. Apparently, he no. uh, it was calling, talking about the Jeremy Cameron to Geelong, which we're going to get right into and saying he wants to go back down to Geelong because his parents have bought a camper van and it will enable them to travel down to watch him play uh, at at Geelong from their home you know, somewhere around Mount Gambier, I believe it is. And then last night after Cameron announced he was going to Geelong, Tommy had a, a tweet saying, uh, people laughed at me when I talked about the camper van. Um, let me read the exact tweet because it it's, it's very... Uh, it feels like a, um, a Tom Brown parody account. Okay. Let's let's it's have awesome. a look. Let's have a look at it is because it is it is humorous. Let's have a look. Cameron's parents also have a new camper van, which they want to drive from Mount Gambia to Geelong to watch him play. Everyone laughed when I reported that. It's perfectly accurate. So there you go. Tom Brown camper van news. Uh, we're in Jeremy Cameron's down to Geelong, so his parents can get uh, get use out of the camper van. Uh, well, Geelong's a beautiful place, and uh, make sure that Tom Brown understands that Geelong don't play at a local footy ground where you can just drive up your camper van <laughs> to the to the fence in the forward pocket and uh, crack open the esky. Maybe maybe he's a little bit confused, but uh, big news! It was the big news of the day. I don't think it was it wasn't unexpected. I mean, I, I think we thought that this was coming. We thought that Jeremy Cameron was probably going to try and find his way to Geelong. The timing of it is a little bit strange. I thought that it would probably wait until after the grand final, but I guess GWS probably gave him the ultimatum. And and they would have known. I mean, let's be honest. If Jeremy Cameron wanted to stay at GWS, he's had a month now where he could have done that. And he could have figured out a deal. And the fact that he hadn't probably told you that he was waiting for Geelong to finish up their season so he could make the call. And perhaps GWS forced his hand. Yeah, look, he was... It felt inevitable that he was leaving after we talked, you know, months, weeks ago about yeah, what's going to happen with Williams, Cameron, and Core. Are they going to retain? How many of them they're going to retain? Well, they've lost all of them, and a couple more look like they're out of there as well. In uh, Haitley and maybe Jai Caldwell, but it knew that we knew that he was leaving. Whether he was going to Essendon was a rumor early on. Collingwood's name's been mentioned now. Geelong's there. I wasn't convinced it was going to be Geelong. It was firming that way, but yeah, maybe GWS did push the button here and say, well, just just do what you need to do. And I don't know why they needed a a commitment at this point where we could have waited four days and waited to the grand final, but uh, maybe that's the way it went. Yeah, I, I think GWS probably at this point, and remember, the grand final is obviously this week, but we are two weeks away essentially or a couple of weeks away from player movements uh, happening, so I guess they need to try and figure out what they're going to do, and they probably will need some time to plan uh, their plan of attack, get their plan of attack in line and get sorted and what they're going to do uh, I think that this is the first time. I mean, it's a no-brainer for me. It clearly, I, I don't think this is going to be a situation where 
uh, they will just say, all right, off you go. We'll take the compensation pick, which I, I believe would be, you know, and we can get into compensation picks again, but I think it would be around 10, 11, somewhere around there. I don't think they're going to do that. For me, this is an absolute no-brainer. Just match the deal and force a trade with Geelong and get something more back. Uh, you have to do it as a club. You need to you need to hold the Cats accountable here. If they want Cameron, which they do, uh, you know that you're going to get a trade, uh, but it's about getting the maximum value back for, let's be honest, a, a star. Yeah, he had a down year this year, but... I've said it all year long that he's a prime candidate to bounce back next year. He's only 27. Uh, I think that uh, he, he's, he's a superstar. So the, the Giants will look to get compensated uh, fairly from the Cats here. I don't know why teams have just never matched any of these restricted offers in the Strange, past. Strange, isn't it? That's yeah. why the system and the system is screwed. Our compensation picks are terrible. And getting pick 11 is not enough for, for Jeremy Cameron. Um the the weird thing is that with this restricted system, like there's so many things that are wrong with this whole system. But if they choose to match, then he just says, "Well, okay, I'm going in the draft." Like, no, that that's that shouldn't be how it works. Like, if he choose to match, he stays for that contract. Like, that's that's the idea of a restricted free agency. I don't understand why. Then, he, if he wants to, they can match, and then they don't get anything back at all. And he can, I don't, I don't know. It, it is it is really weird. Like his options, he. They match, he stays with GWS, or he goes into it into the draft, or they trade him. Now, they wouldn't want that to happen, but it's, there's really strange scenarios with this whole setup of, of free agency, restricted free agency. Do you actually know the criteria of how you become a free agent? Oh, I don't know. How would I supposed to know? I think it's like, what is it, six years or something like that, or four years or six years, or this, who knows? This is what it is. So if anyone can work this out, it's the top 25% of salaries at your club for God knows what reason, we only include those players. And I think that is, and people say, oh, this system's ruining it. All these players going to good teams. That is one of the number one things outside of something that Jason McCartney talked about, which we'll get to in a second, why free agency is perhaps not working the way it is. And I've got thoughts on this. This is me as I was winding down last night, just fuming at this uh, of uninformed uh, comments on it and the AFL screwing the system up. So you've got to be in the top 25% of salaries at your club to become a free agent. The first time that you are eligible for free agency, you become a restricted free agent, but you have to have served eight years with the club, not eight years in the league, eight years with the club. And then, Mm. so if you, it says here, for example, a player who is contracted after his seventh season for one, two, three, four, or five years after that will be a restricted free agent when next out of contract, either after eight, nine, 10, 11, or 12 years respectively. And then you can become unrestricted if you have gone through restricted free agency once, and you've served 10 years with a club, then you become unrestricted, but as a top 25% player. And if you're not a top 25% player, you are unrestricted after eight years. But these timeframes are all over the place. And this is part of what I think is, is, is the problem with this. Is we can, I, I am in no way criticizing Jeremy Cameron or Geelong or Tom Lynch, or Richmond, which are the names that are brought up. Look at the two grand finalists, get the two primary yeah, big forwards from these expansion teams who... Let's be honest. They've been there for eight, nine years, and you know that Lynch had you know one under forty games in his time with Gold Coast, and Cameron's had some success, but he wants to come back, and he's been there for that time. But there's no problem with Geelong getting these guys, and Cameron wanting to leave. Like that, absolutely, is his choice, and I applaud it. And Geelong's list management team to be able to do that. But in order to have this system work, where players aren't just going. Yeah, to the, to these stronger teams, and the better players are willing to take some sort of pay cut. In the end, like he's been there for nine years at GWS or however long it is. He's got paid a lot of money. He's the highest paid player in the league, apparently. So he, he can afford to take a little bit of a haircut off. But the problem is, is that we look at Geelong's uh, list now. And I'll just pull out a name. Brandon Parfit, right? He's been at the Cats for four years. He's out of contract at the end of this season. If he decides that he says, well, 
you know, I've played every game. I've been a huge part of this midfield, my defensive pressure. I've really stepped it up this year. I could put you know, Quentin Narkle in that mix. Next year, it'll be some, someone like Sam Manangola who's out of contract. He's also a non-free agent. But if they say, hey, where's my money? I deserve to be paid more, but I can't because Jeremy Cameron's here and Tom Hawkins is getting this money and Joel Selwood and Paddy Dangerfield and, and Mitch Duncan and Cam Guthrie, all these guys are getting paid. If Brandon Parfitt's like, I want to, I want to get paid, and clubs are like, we, we want to pay you, but in order to get him, they've got to trade. So if GWS looks at goes, well, well not GWS because that doesn't work in this current example. Gold Coast, Fremantle, North Melbourne says Brandon Parfitt's been pretty good. Is he going to get squeezed in terms of money here? If we want to offer them something, we have to actually give up stuff to get it. So the team like Geelong, who's getting these players for free, then the other players who theoretically should be squeezed out in that scenario, who aren't getting the money. They just they just be able to restock their their war chest, their asset base with with picks or more players or anything like that. So these guys who theoretically should be squeezed out when these bigger name players and higher contracts come to these teams, the players who should be squeezed out who then should go to the other teams, to the to North Melbourne, to Essendon, to Adelaide, to whatever. They can't unless those teams give up assets and then they're not willing to do that because that's making either them a net loss or an absolute neutral position rather than getting that player who they should be looking to pay overs to to get to come and see if they develop. You can't do it unless they've been there for eight years and then they become a restricted free agent and then you still have to give up assets to get them back anyway. The whole system is ridiculous. If someone like (laughs) Parfit had played five years, right, six years, four years, whatever it is now, like, and we'll talk rookie contracts in a second, and he was squeezed out, if... Menangola, who's a non-free agent next year, who said, well, I, I deserve $800,000 because I'm like an all-Australian caliber wingman here. But Geelong's like, well, we can't pay you. But in order for a team to get him and pay him that money, they're going to give up. Well, here, you've got to have two first-rounders to get Menangola because that's how good he is, but we we can't pay. It's The system is bullshit. These guys should be allowed to leave at this point if they're out of contract. The whole system needs redoing. But I think that is why this problem uh, exists where these players, these you know, fringe-type guys... Whether that is a narkle or, or you know, I'm keep saying Parfit because I'm just looking at Geelong's list because they're the team in here. If teams want to get him, they've got to give up stuff to get it. So they're less likely to offer the big contracts to bring these guys in to become the next level stars to actually try and balance things out. Whereas Geelong, if they lose it, they just get compensated anyway. The system's screwed. So I, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, we spoke about it the last few weeks. I, I definitely don't disagree with you. I think the players that are going to get squeezed out from Geelong, and we spoke about them the last couple of weeks here with obviously narkle who you mentioned. Uh, Jordan Clark will be another one. Nakai Cockatoo, different reasons, health reasons more for him. And, and Charlie Constable as well, who uh, we've spoke about a bit on the podcast, is a guy that's averaged over 20 disposals and only been able to play 10 games in his career because he can't get into the midfield. So I think, again, if we, if we talk about what the system is right now, if you're GWS, as I said, match the offer, go to the trade table. And I just pulled up the trade that Geelong ended up making for... Patrick Dangerfield, obviously, going back a couple of years ago, would have been the same situation. Adelaide would have got some sort of, you know, random conversation for Danger. Who knows what it would have been? The Cats ended up giving up pick nine, pick 28, and uh, Dean Gore as well, which uh, didn't work out for the Crows there. But uh, at the time, Adelaide were like, well, listen, this is better than the compensation. Apparently, GWS are not going to go four draft picks. We know the Cats have three first rounders because of the Tim Kelly deal last year. So, if you're GWS, the guy that's been mentioned here, and it does seem like quite an obvious candidate, Asava Radigalia, get back a 22-year-old key position guy that's shown real promise, maybe get one of those first-round picks as well, and then go in for another player, another one of those young players, and maybe it is a Jordan Clark, someone like that, that has shown 
real promise at AFL level. I, I think there is an avenue for GWS to get a, a decent return here. As far as the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the system, yeah, I mean, it's it's we can talk about it literally every. I know you can. We can talk about it every single show for weeks on end. It, it makes no sense. I think the one thing that I will say about Geelong, and, and they've got. And I, honestly, I do believe they've got a built-in advantage being in Geelong. If you look at what they've been able to do over the last 15 years, if you look at the the area that Geelong is and where they're situated, you look at the Geelong Falcons and the success they've had in the TAC Cup, that is a program that has really developed as many AFL players as, as anyone. I mean, they're right up there with the top developmental clubs, top developmental systems in Australia in terms of developing AFL players. And the Cats have this advantage with a lot of the guys on their list and yes, there's a lot of them were father-sons going back for a while, but even a guy like Salwood, um, who you talk about the money, but if you look at the Cats list, who's on huge money? Dangerfield? Yep. Hawken, who, Hawkins will be? I, I, don't think he, I don't think he will be. Like He's not going to be on huge money. And, and this is the thing with the Cats. When you look at their list, three of their probably top five players this year, Cam Guthrie, Sam Menegola, and probably Mark Blitzavs, none of those guys are on huge money. And, and this is the advantage that the Cats have been able to have within the club and Josh, you always talk about building a club that has a good culture and guys that want to be there. Going back to the premiership team, these guys were on significantly less money than they could have been elsewhere. When you think about Bartal, you think about Corey Enright, Cameron Ling. And 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 this is what they've been able to build. And, and it's it's going to be frustrating. But when I look at a team like GWS and how they've stacked their, their list with players in big money, if you look what Carlton's doing now with Saad and Williams... And then you look at the cats, and it's like, who's on the huge money? I mean, it's it's not surprising that they have got room. It, it's I, I don't I mean, it's got to be frustrating. I understand it. And if the system was built better, as you said, they would be able to take advantage of the cats and really um, scoop out those younger players that are that are very good AFL level players, but but would be able to get more money elsewhere. Um, but it, it's it's just not a big surprise that the cats have continually been able to do that. And part of that is the system. Part of that is taking advantage of the area they have, not only Geelong but the Surf Coast. The unwarnable country, Victoria, they've been able to take advantage of that. The other thing with it is, is, is you know, we get caught up, or not we, but people, you know, look at this, it, it, you know, Cameron going to Geelong, but it's only the good teams get stronger. Like, is Carlton a good team? Like, what year is it, 95? Like, Carlton's not a good team, and they're getting Assad and Zach Williams, two of it, maybe it's... the best four free agents who are on the market. Carlton's on a good team. Aiden Corwin's gone to North Melbourne. Literally, probably the team with the worst outlook at the moment in the league. They, they, yeah, no, no doubt. But I, I don't think, I will say this in, in all fairness. If the decision for Cameron was between Essendon and Geelong, are we really shocked that he went to the Cats? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's absolutely no problem. And if they've got the room, if Ablett retires, Harry Taylor might retire, there's some uh, room coming out there. And another thing with this free agency system, Gary Rowan, for example, is out of contract in this year. He's 29 years of age. He and is he he's a guy that could potentially get squeezed with Cameron coming in in terms of game mm. time and money, but he can't leave without getting compensation. Geelong coming back, so again, if he is the guy that's squeezed out by getting Cameron in, Geelong still can get a second, third rounder. Like Cameron's been su- super valuable, not Cameron. Uh, Rowan's been super valuable for this team this year, and potentially he's a guy that again they could still get compensated for. The whole system is screwed. And look, we talk about Jason McCartney said. And we've I've, we've talked about this on the podcast plenty of times. He's like rookie contracts; they need to be more than two years. So he's talking about Jai Caldwell getting offers from St Kilda and Essendon, who's been there two years, and yeah, he's wanting to come, potentially wanting to come back, and they look to trade him back. That there shouldn't be after two years, players should not have, be out of contract. Rookie, 
drafted players, first three rounds, it should be four years. Simple as that. And then there's some sort of bonus for a team to be able to re-sign. You can offer them um, yeah, an extra 25% that doesn't count against your cap. You can offer them an extra year on, on a contract, something like that. Give them the, the eight years or so, and then it's a free-for-all. Then that they can move. If you can't do anything in eight years, then that's that's your bad luck. But yeah, the two-year contract is is actually ridiculous in terms of you know, development and the time you put into recruiting these guys and developing them and, and teaching them how to play. And then after a, a, couple of, a couple of seasons, they can be gone. Uh, I, I think that's wrong. It is wrong. and But also, again, this comes back to the system. So the crazy thing for me, and I believe it was John Ralph. I think I saw a John Ralph tweet uh, with some of these details. But if you talk about Jai Caldwell, this is a guy that's played 11 games. He's played 11 games of footy. He's only averaged 12 disposals per game. He's kicked one goal. Let's be honest. This guy hasn't been a superstar since coming into AFL. Clearly, he's got a lot of talent. He's only 19 years old, about to turn uh, 20, or he's 20 right now, I should say, but super young, clearly really talented, but it's not like he's blown the AFL world away. Essendon are the team that are circling Coldwell, and they've offered him five years, five years. So the, the Giants have invested in this young player and, and they've offered him a four-year deal. And again, this comes back to the contract situation we spoke about. Teams are just going to be offering ridiculous contracts to players that, uh, let's be honest, probably haven't earned it yet. And, and then they're, in all likelihood, a lot of the times, they're not going to be able to live up to that contract. GWS investing in that draft pick and losing Caldwell after 11 games because Essendon offering him a five-year deal, it's not fair. It, it truly isn't fair. And if you're going to extend the rookie contracts to four years, which I believe they should be, the club's... Uh, and need to have more power. And, and I know the players will fight for this, but it, it's not right. The clubs need to be able to have more power with contracts. They need to be able to move these guys, as you suggested, right off the top. And uh, and players like uh, Parfit, as you mentioned with Geelong, if he's out of contract and he wants to leave, the Cats don't necessarily shouldn't get anything back for him if he's an uncontracted player. I, I would agree with that. We've been talking about this for a while, so we'll move on to something else. But the, the, the trade-off there is if play, teams should be able to trade players at, with more flexibility without you know, the players' express permission, but also the players should be able to hit free agency at significantly different times. Like Gary Ablett, if he decided he wanted to go to a different team, he's not a free agent. He's been in the league for 15 years. He's not a free agent because he left and came back and doesn't have consecutive eight years of service with Geelong. Like it's it's ridiculous that he wouldn't have that ability to to change teams. There needs to be that. There needs to be more play, uh, freedom of player movement with free agency. And this top 25% thing is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. That sort of thing needs to go. And there needs to be that ability for for players to to trade. There's uh, teams to trade players. There's that that's that's a um compromise between players and teams. Um. And it, it needs to happen because this system is ridiculous and it's not anything to do with Geelong getting Jeremy Cameron because he should be doing that. It's those other players where you can take advantage of it and the cost of Geelong is is pretty minimal in this situation. So, that, of course, they should be going for it. But, Kane, I've talked shit about this enough. I'm just... It, it's so... The fix is so... It, the fix is not as easy as clashed Guernsey's. That's the easiest fix in the world. But the <laughs> fix of this is, is a pretty simple thing. It just requires negotiation. But Brisbane and Port, they're out. What do we look at with Brisbane, who's been you know, really, Chris Fagan arrived, they've jumped up the ladder with some really big uh, performances the last two years. They've won one final in two years. Um, so where do they go from here? They're not a, they're not, a, they're not an old team by any means, but that level of you know, one, and, one and three in finals the last two years is not great considering where they've finished on the ladder. So what do they do from here? Well, it's not great, particularly when you consider the fact that all those finals have been at the Gabba. So, 
it, it's difficult for Brisbane. They've been a fantastic team at home. Obviously, they've had their struggles in finals, but th- that's okay because, as you said, they are a super young team. The question will be, will they ever get a better opportunity than this year to play the grand final at the Gabba? Obviously not. <laughs> first of all, obviously not. But to get that first final win, prelim final, to get yourself into that position, it's going to be tough to get back there again. They finished top two, obviously, the last two seasons. But the thing that I love about Brisbane, as you mentioned, is the age demographic of this list. The only guy that, honestly, the only couple of guys that are really older is uh, Stefan Martin, who, by the way, it's kind of, I mean, he's been around a long time, but it's still hard for me to believe he's 33 years old, just about to turn 34. Clearly, he had some injury concerns this year. And Oscar McInerney really developed. And I think he's the ruckman of the future for the Lions there. Grant Birchall, who knows, Ping Dahami, uh, obviously, last weekend. He'll probably be back. I think he wanted to. And then uh, Dane Zorko, 31, but looks like a guy that's certainly still got another year or two left in him. So outside of that, uh, most of their guys are in their are in their early 20s. So the age bracket for Brisbane is really good. I think the big thing for them will be ensuring that they get uh, Joe Danaher. And I, I think it's interesting now with the Giants. Obviously, we spoke a lot about them today. But maybe they'll dive in and try and uh, get involved in the Joe Danaher sweepstakes, if possible, as well, now that they're losing Jeremy Cameron. But for Brisbane, ultimately, I, I think their forward line lacked a bit of potency. If you look at... Uh, goals kicked this year. Charlie Cameron leading goal kicker again. But for Mark's inside 50, Eric Kipwood led the Lions, but only 1.6 marks inside 50 per game. And then you have to go all the way down to the guy I want to talk about here, Daniel McStay. He's 25 years old. He had five, uh, sorry, he had seven games this year with five or fewer disposals. He had 13 games with 10 or fewer disposals. He only kicked multiple goals once, and that came in round one against Hawthorne at the MCG. McStay didn't really deliver a lot, so I think that this is the biggest area of improvement for Brisbane next year. If they can get a healthy Joe Danaher, add him to uh, Hipwood, who I think, you know, accuracy aside, uh, has shown flashes, still super young. If they can get Hipwood and then add Danaher into the mix, I think it elevates him again. Yeah, Danaher is going to be a key. And you talk about marks inside 50. Hipwood, while he has the frame of a key forward, he really isn't. He's like yeah. a lead-up, half-forward flank type who I think is going to be significantly better suited to being a, a a secondary marking option who takes those marks on a lead, You know, very similar to the way... Yeah, Nick Rewalt used to play. Not yeah, Rewalt's obviously a much better contested marker and that and forward in that area. But the way that yeah, Rewalt would lead up to centre half back and into the middle and take the ball there and then and run back super hard and be that sort of a player. That's more what Hipwood is rather than the you know Danaher's a little bit like that as well, but probably not to the same degree. Rather than that, look, I'm the tallest player, therefore I am the key forward and I am you know, have to be Charlie Dixon or Tom Hawkins, and that's not uh, that's not who Hipwood is. So I think that role would really suit him, take that pressure off. And I think that would uh, be able enable him to. You take another step in his career. Yeah, McStay, you're right, was pretty disappointing this year. Um, maybe he needs that extra assistance there. Mate, do they just decide to move him back at all? Um, yeah, depending on what happens with Birchall and whether he goes around again, could could McStay, if they get down to her, move back? I think it'd probably be a mistake. But they have options, and his team is super young. They didn't even play your mate Alex Witherden really much at all. Like that's another mm-hmm. name that they can bring into that um, bring into that midfield and help develop. And yeah, McCluggage really took his game to another level. Alex Yolman yeah, didn't do a huge amount. Cam Rayner, I thought after a disappointing start, really yeah, stepped it up as well this year. So the future to me still is really really bright despite this disappointing uh, finals performances. Um, what about the other preliminary final loser? The Port Adelaide Power came from outside the eight to finish on top of the ladder. 
big early win uh, against Geelong in the finals and then uh, you know, just succumbed to Richmond by the, the one goal. I think that overall the season would be considered a success given where they came from, but obviously you're pretty disappointed to lose a preliminary final by a goal. Are they in a better or worse spot than Brisbane, do you think? Uh, worse. Yeah, I, I think they're in a worse spot. I, I don't know if you remember this, but before the season started, I identified Port as a team that um, could potentially have a good season. Now, I, I don't think I would have predicted them to literally be on top of the ladder from start to finish. And, you know, at that time, we didn't really know what form the AFL season was going to take. But the reason why I thought that they could not only have a breakout season, but the urgency would be there to have a breakout season is because of the age. And this is why I think Port Adelaide, more so than Brisbane, really, really wasted an opportunity here. When you look at Robbie Gray, I'm not sure. And listen, Robbie Gray's had some serious injuries. He's been healthy, obviously, for a couple of years here, but he is 32 years old. He'll be 33 before the start of next season. I'm just not sure how many really, really elite years he's got left. I thought he was fantastic at stages this year, but also had some stretches where he was pretty quiet. So he's going to be 33. Travis Boak, arguably his career best season, but he's going to be turning 32 next season. And then Rockliffe, uh, 30, and Brad Ebert, 30, who's retired. And you talk about those four guys, for uh, significant stretches of the season, that was almost their top four important players. Most important players, obviously, Charlie Dixon is a, <laughs> was fairly important for them. But those four guys, the fact that they're all... 30 plus it's going to be interesting to me to see whether they can back it up again obviously minus ebert so gray boak rockliffe can they deliver again to the level they did this year certainly the top two in gray and boak that would be the big question mark for me yeah the boak one's interesting because the other part of that is is that boak is out of contract not suggesting that he's leaving because that's just not going to happen but it means that you know, coming off a season where he was in the mix to be mm. the All-Australian captain, he was you know, the best player on this Port team that was top of the ladder, he finished second in the Brownlow, is he's going to be demanding decent money. And at age 32, he's going to be on a big contract. And how many more years does he have left at this level? Does that hamstring them in the future? There's so many, so much noise about where Ollie Wines wants to play. Now, Wines is still under contract for another couple of years, but man, that noise could not be any louder that he wants to go. So maybe he's someone that moves on as well. And again, Robbie Gray, it, just when you, he's not the key, key piece of this team, but he's super important with what he does on that half forward line in that forward line. And if he falls off and then Boak falls off or, or has an issue with tying up your, your cap space and that creates some other problems around the team, yeah, they are a little bit of a worry, but... Dersma, Butters, Rosie, yeah. like yeah. we've got these young guys who are, are really coming through. Even other players that sort of established. Like the, so, uh, Kane Farrell played pretty well at times this year. Um, Darcy Byrne Jones, obviously uh, in the All Australian team. So some some younger players who are you know, providing a good uh, a good basis, and maybe the transition between a, a Boak and Gray to a Butters, Dersma, Rosie. Mm-hmm. Uh, led team is not as uh, it's not as rocky as what we might think on the surface that, that you know in two years time that those guys just step in and they're ready for those roles and then it's just seamless no d- absolutely so to be clear it's not that i think that port la is going to drop off next year i i just am curious to see whether those the veterans will play to the same level but yeah i mean if you talk about young talent uh burn jones is only 24 as well dan houston's 22 pal pepper's only 22 somehow i don't know how he's i don't know how he's 22 years old he was born in 1998 it's ridiculous peter laddams he's only 22 and he really broke out and todd marshall was spoke about georgiati so yeah i mean port's fine if you look at the young talent they have as well i just think in comparison to brisbane uh the reliance on the older guys is just it's just a little bit 
more heavy when it comes to Port Adelaide. I think the other question I would have um, for you is clearly it was much publicized Dougal Howard going from Port to St Kilda. I think we saw multiple times and certainly stood out in the first final against the Cats with Trent McKenzie playing on Tom Hawkins. I don't think Trent McKenzie playing on the the big key forwards as your number one option is going to be a winning formula either. And and look, you can argue that <laughs> you can argue Hawkins didn't kick a goal, but he did have six shots uh, six shots on goal. I, I I think the loss of Howard is a huge one for them. Another young key position player because uh, Cleary at times was sort of overmatched and Jonas who's who's obviously a fantastic player but he's actually only 188 centimeters as well so yeah maybe a key back I don't know where they can pluck one from but another key back would be would be big for them I think yeah I think they do have some struggles in that area to get those big uh, big guys down and we talked about that in terms of how they've uh, struggled against big forwards and how that might be a way for Richmond to get a hold of them in, in, the, in yeah. the prelim and that uh, Richmond obviously got the victory wouldn't say that those big forwards necessarily got a hold of them in a huge way but that is obviously something that is a concern for them moving forward and I'm just you know, trying to scan their list and just see if there is any of those guys um, yeah on the t- on the team coming through I don't really I don't really see it for them at this point, but, um, and, and they've got some, obviously they're losing Ebert, um, Ryan Burton was consistently injured this season, so getting those sort of guys back, yeah, they've got Burton. an interesting plot, yeah, go ahead. No, no, just Burton, yeah, I mean, if they could get him healthy, he just hasn't been able to catch a break, but he's he's a seriously good player. They've got an interesting player that hasn't played a game yet, Sam Hayes, 203 centimeter ruckman, only 21 years of age, uh, I've heard his name mentioned around as someone that um, teams might be might be looking at and, and trying to get, and that's those sort of ruckmen that we talk about, those guys who are buried. And you know, Laddams has obviously stepped up and lost sets ahead of him there. So maybe they could look at maybe moving a Sam Hayes to a team that needs a ruckman and restocking some assets, getting some key back type players uh, back, or you know, developing young backmen in, into that sort of role because he's a player that's you know highly regarded, but just hasn't had the opportunities yet. I believe he was injured this year as well. So that's that's another name that they could consider as well. What would you say overall for Port Adelaide and Brisbane? And I guess it's probably pretty difficult for us to uh, really comment on. But when you look at this season, and and I think this is why it would be so disappointing if you are a Brisbane or Port fan, uh, not only did you have the majority of the games at home, certainly Port were in a hub for a little bit, but you got home games, you got home games in front of crowds, which, yeah, I mean, the majority of the competition haven't been able to have. You've been able to stay at home under restrictions for sure, but you're about to stay in your own home. How much of an advantage do you think that was as well? And and does that does that probably amplify the disappointment you've got if you're a Port or Brisbane fan, knowing that you've missed out on this uh, on this really golden opportunity? I think maybe more so for Brisbane with the grand final uh, up in the Gabba, but it is absolutely you had a little bit of that advantage. Yeah, towards your team that you're not necessarily going to have in future years. That's not to say they can't still be good because Brisbane was obviously really, really good the year before. Um, but it is, it does feel a little bit like missed opportunity. But that's what you know Fagan and Hinkley have to be able to do is to, to get rid of that mindset and say, well, that's got nothing to do with it. Like that's that wasn't our advantage. We're good because we're good, not because we had this advantage over a bunch of teams. So that's that's the coaching staff's challenge, and I think they'll be able to achieve that and get that sort of um. Yeah, mindset out of the player's head. It will still exist in you know, the fans' minds, but I don't think it's something to be continually worried about. Yeah, a couple of games in Sydney for Brisbane. Obviously, they played at the MCG in round one, but outside of that, they were they were in Queensland for the entirety of the season, which is which is quite remarkable in itself. And and certainly, yeah, you know, again, as you pointed to, the one and three record in finals is tough, tough to swallow, but 
couple of close losses last year, and uh, you know they're going to be back. I've got no doubt about that. Yep, they will be, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow, Kane, as we really crack on into grand final mode for Wednesday's show. Thank you again for today. Yep, uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Starting to starting to get a little bit excited. Well, it's a big big time for Geelong. Jeremy Cameron coming across, grand final coming up. It's a it's a great time to be a Geelong fan, except for the fact that a lot of you live in Geelong. So that's a, that's the the balance, I guess. <laughs> Guys, that's 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 not uh, that's just ease up on the Geelong slander, okay? Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout out to Timmy Sumner.